Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Since they have taken office, uh, there has been a radical change, of course, in uh, social services here in the province of Ontario. Uh, some budgets have been cut. Some programs have been eliminated. Uh, we talked about the basic income project and uh, a number of other things that have gone on, uh, the freezing, of course, of the minimum wage. Uh, and, yeah, it's had an impact on not just the Hamilton community, but uh, very, very many communities uh, right across the province. So there is an initiative going on here called the Hamilton Organization for Poverty Elimination. The acronym is HOPE, H-O-P-E, uh, that meet on a, a semi-regular basis. And uh, one of the members of that committee, Deirdre Pike, uh, is uh, with us here in studio to talk about uh, what the work is doing and, and some of the stories that you've heard. I know you had a session last night, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, for the whole day yesterday, Bill. Oh, all day yesterday at mm-hmm. Beth Jacobs Synagogue. And uh, uh, the members of the committee, by the way, uh, we should mention, uh, have, are people that are dedicated to this community uh, and obviously dedicated to try to help some of the people that have been impacted by this. Mm-hmm. Yes, Hope has been meeting for under a couple of different names for over a decade, actually, yeah. in Hamilton, made up of uh, many, many people with lived experience uh, and some service providers that support as advocates. Um but our partnership in this particular initiative called the Social Audit uh, is with the Interfaith Social Assistance Reform Coalition. The short form for that is ISARC. And ISARC started as a response to the initial cuts of uh, Mike Harris's government to social assistance. And so they meet twice a year at Queen's Park. And you know, uh, as I do, that faith leaders uh, uh, have a respected voice that uh, many politicians still uh, mm-hmm. put their ear to. And so uh, uh, ISARC has been uh, quite impactful, but one of their key um, initiatives has been this kind of a witnessing of these conversations, bringing in people who are most often left uh, silent uh, to the margins um, to be heard by people who have influence and uh, in our community and don't necessarily know these stories. And so um, uh, um uh, on a one-to-one basis. So we bring in leaders from faith communities for sure. But yesterday we had also the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Keenan Loomis, and, um, and uh, one of his uh, counterparts, uh, Bianca. Um, and uh, so, so these are the kinds of things that we're, uh, we're doing, trying to keep these stories in the forefront so that people recognize these policy th- changes you hear about, the money, um, numbers that maybe don't mean anything to you, actually have true uh, faces and voices that will impact uh, your heart and need to impact the policies. Well, I'm, I'm not surprised Keenan's part of this uh, because obviously this is a story that impacts the whole community. And, and when that happens, obviously businesses are impacted by this too. I mean, we're all in this together, aren't we? Oh, for sure. And as uh, one of our participants said yesterday, who's uh, sharing her story, uh, I don't think we all recognize how close each of us is, you know, by one paycheck to our own experience of homelessness or precariousness in our own lives. And so, um, uh, and so it really is important uh, uh, to understand how we are all impacted and all connected and all vulnerable, some of us uh, more so than others. This is the second day, by the way, Bill, like yesterday we were at Beth Jacob. Um, in July, we had another whole day, eight uh, storytellers, uh, people on social assistance, most of them coming from basic income and having had to segue back into um, Ontario Works or ODSP, sharing their experiences of that. So the last one had... Um, the Bishop of Niagara, uh, Bishop Susan Bell, plus uh, the new executive director at the Social Planning Council, my new boss, Kim Martin, um, along with a professor at Mac, uh, Rebecca Gewertz. And so we have this panel of deep listeners yesterday, the rabbi and so on, and, and a priest. And um, anyway, it really... Uh, 
is a day that I can't tell you the the um, to feel the emotion and uh, the spirit in that room as these people sit all day from nine to four to hear these stories uh, and and walk out of there resolved to make some change. You brought up an interesting uh, statistic about this too. There was a survey that was released. It was just a couple of weeks ago, I think, it was Stats Canada thing, uh, and it's something like sixty percent or something of the people that surveyed said that they were two paychecks away from calamity. Uh, and that's a, and part of that I understand. There's a lot of subjects, uh, subsets to that too. That means yeah, it's because of our debt and things of this nature. But if there's something does befall us, and it can happen to anybody, we know that uh, you're in this boat. I mean, you know, you can sit there and say, well, yeah, I'm 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 okay. Today you are, but I mean, you could lose your job. A number of different things could happen. Uh, the place that they work could shut down. They could downsize. We've seen this happen to people. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you put a face to this, I, I think it's essential that we have to have these sorts of discussions because all too often, uh, governments will get involved and and get into this idea about a numbers game. We're reducing your taxes. We're going to do a ten percent reduction. Uh, we're going to cut our spending. Well, the cutting spending means cutting programs. And when you cut programs, it impacts people. And you're hearing some of the stories. I mean, that's, I guess, the first question for all these uh, the, the, these conversations that you're having. How is this impacting you? You know, when, when you cut social services, you lay off people that are delivering those social services. Those are caseworkers that are trying to help people that are in this, in this pr- 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 calamity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's a, a domino effect here. That's right. Uh, the other way it was described yesterday, Bianca, uh, Caramento from the chamber had uh, said that the story she heard just um, saw a pile up, like piling and piling and piling on until this kind of um, recursive theory theory of uh, just building and building um, takes a person down. But it starts with like a simple, what may seem like a simple injury. It could be a concussion. Sure. It could be all kinds of things that knock you out of work for a little bit. Then you think the disability system is going to support you. Um, uh, we heard from a woman yesterday who gets 1600 a month and pays 1400 for rent because she has to be in market rent with her child and so on. So um, that kind of thing now with the child care cuts, you know, families are going to be struggling. How are they going to, first of all, find a place, but certainly a, an affordable place, you know, um, that's going to be another big chunk of money out of people's uh, pockets. And we're going to be releasing the living wage, uh, a new number for Hamilton in the fall. And um, uh, Tom Cooper and I have been working on that with a number of folks, uh, Judy Travis, etc. That number is going to be greatly impacted by what is the real cost to participate in this community? What does it cost to put your ch- child in childcare if there's a space? And what is it for market rent? Because really, who can wait five to seven years on the social housing wait list when you're living in places that are quite in, a bit in squalor and so on? So. Well, and the ones that are even available, if they are available, usually in pretty bad repair. And I know the city's trying to address that, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a real concern. The, the thing that I, I find frustrating about this is the stigma. You've been doing this for a long time, uh, and you know about this, and you've been fighting the stigma yourself about, you know, the, some of the attitudes. And I saw some of this stuff on social media just the other day. Uh, you know, why, and you, you know, the cliche, why don't they just get a job then? Why don't mm. they go back to school and get a better education so they can get a better job? Uh, one of them rather cynically, uh, one comment said, well, I wonder how many of those people are on ODSP. Do you know what ODSP is? Do you know mm. why those people are on there? They're hurt. They're injured. They're unable to work full time and sometimes unable to work at all. But I mean, many it's, it's are not, working. It's, that is that's the, what I mean. But sixty percent of the people on basic income were working. Yeah, you know, uh, I forget the percentage right now about the number on ODSP, but it is high as well. And so, um, and the fact is that getting a job, as we all discussed yesterday, is not 
the way you think it used to be an answer. It is not an answer. Sure, you can get a, maybe you can get a job, but frozen at $14 an hour, shift work that you never are sure of without being able to take care of your children. Again, the pileup just goes on and on about the complications around what people think are simple solutions. And that's, again, partly why uh, Father Con O'Mahony was there yesterday. He's the Vicar of Education for the Diocese of Hamilton and is in touch with all the different, uh, all the directors of school boards. And he heard one particular story that he said, if that storyteller, if I could get her face in front of so many of the people I work with, uh, they do hold, many, many people um, that he has encountered hold this uh, stigma still about the people in poverty. But if he he really thinks that these stories are the way to unravel the complication or or lay bare the complication so that people can therefore uh, dispense with their judgments. It's almost as if some people seem to have the attitude that poverty is a choice. That, mm-hmm. you know, you chose to, you know, you chose to be poor. You made some bad decisions. So this this is the, the this is the ramification of it. You know, you get what you pay. Uh, on and on it goes. I mean, I can't understand that people can be so insensitive about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and using false information is a half, and, you know, it happens in every story, doesn't it? But um, in the poverty story, that one of the false pieces of information is the, the rate of ripoff. Oh, those welfare bums, you know, always taking money from, from us good taxpayers. The um, Consistently, with good research, uh, the, the rate of welfare fraud shows up to be around 3.5% at the most, where the uh, rate of ripoff of the income tax system of richer people uh, is about 20%. And so it is time for people to start looking in the mirror more about who's really taking advantage of, who has the privilege to take advantage of systems. And um, and uh, I think, again, this social audit, these hearing of voices that will be ultimately presented in November at Queen's Park by the ISART group who are gathering not just Hamilton's audit and our experience of these stories, but across the province, taking those stories to Queen's Park. MPPs line up around lunchtime to meet all these faith leaders coming in to gather and, uh, and see what can be done around social assistance reform. Uh, imagine um, if the premier was to show up in that room this uh, November uh, and maybe hear those stories in a new way. I mean, we can only, our group is called Hope for a particular reason. If you talk to people at the Campaign for Adequate Welfare and Disability Benefits these days and other advocacy groups, they are losing hope. Despair is taking over and we cannot do that at this point. We have to be an avenue to continue to get these voices out there. Well, let's talk about uh, not doing something, which is what we've been doing for the longest time and some governments don't seem to comprehend. Uh, there are spin-off uh, in the results of this stuff too. That, you know, when we have a high rate of poverty, as we do in this particular community, uh, that that affects our healthcare delivery. It affects policing. Uh, it affects a number of different things. That do have, it do certainly affects our taxes. So it does have an impact on each and every person. Everybody in this community should have a vested interest in this. That's right. We were uh, brainstorming at the end of the day yesterday about what possible titles for our report might be that would um, garner attention and have the right message that would certainly capture the people in power that could make some of these changes. And, uh, you know, we were thinking, I I said at one point, what about um, it won't cost you a cent you know, because in, when you get down to the dollars and cents of it, it, you will actually be, we will be better off as a province when we deliver our services differently, not in the way that we talk about efficiencies and economies, which usually mean the very thing that's happening that's creating the despair, but that sense of 
um, you know, using the research that's been done already, although it was limited, knowing that uh, basic income is a guaranteed annual income does seem to provide a floor and would uh, do much to collapse some systems and bring the kinds of changes we need. Um, so and uh, so it won't cost you a cent, uh, you know, but it will cost you some um, initial maneuvering of monies and so on. But really, the impact on the healthcare system would be so remarkable. But we're living in an age now where the people that want to get elected, and there's going to be a bunch of them knocking on your door in just a couple of weeks now, are saying, I'm going to reduce your taxes. Because that's the number one issue for you, to reduce your taxes. And, and uh, quality of life should enter into the discussion. I mean, mm-hmm. there are people that are doing it better than us. And you've done the research on this. I mean, Scandinavia, time and time again, uh, is at the top of the heap when it comes to the people that are most satisfied with where they're living in their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the best health care system, the best education system, and the happiest people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they do things differently than we do. And yeah, okay, they don't have the lowest taxes, but they have the better quality of life than we do. When are we going to get that message? Mm-hmm. And I think what they also have is, uh, and a lot of what I've read, is um, a, more, a very solid connectedness to one another. They still see uh, that they are reliant on each other and they've somehow been able to sustain community, probably a size-wise is something about that. But this is again why the witness and the storytelling is so important. I think we've lost um, our neighborly compassion to one another. It takes a, an emergency situation to bring people together um, as opposed to Um, Well, as opposed to not seeing that uh, your neighbor who has to visit the food bank, or maybe they're not your neighbors, but venture out. You know, if you still have a car, get in it and use it for good and go see um, uh, where the need is and uh, and be part of the change that's immediate, which is the charitable response, but the justice that needs to be done, which is the policy. And that's what we're trying to impact. You know, the grocery store up in Ancaster that I shop at, Sobeys, I mean, they've got this little rack there and it's just donations to the food bank. and, And I... Every pay, you know, we go up there all the time, and, with, and it's nice to know a lot of the time it's empty, which means people are taking that stuff and putting mm-hmm. it in there. Great that they're donating, but let's let's uh, that's that's treating the symptom. When that's are we right. going to treat the cause? And and that's that's the discussion we need to have. Mm-hmm. I've been doing um, quite a bit of work with uh, Anglican communities because I have a new uh, position, kind of new six months uh, as the social justice uh, coordinator and outreach there. So I've been traveling to different communities, and um, and that's what we're they're always talking about. They've been you know different parishes and across this is happening in many communities. Ten. 15, 20 years of the frontline response, hot meals, uh, food banks, you know, calling for tampons, doing all the things that we need that are meeting the immediate need only. And you will do that till the day you die, unless every time you make one of those charitable responses, you pick up the phone or send an email to your MPP, your elected officials, you have three of them at least, and uh, let them know, I did something today to respond to the immediate need of poverty. What are you doing to change it in the Actually, you should say medium term, not even long term. We cannot wait. And it's not as if we have to invent the wheel here. I mean, there are things that can be done here. It's just a matter of whether or not the government has the will to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... Um, as, as example, <laughs> a living wage. Right. Well, yes. Uh, we weren't even asking for a living wage. I mean, the, we're asking for a, you know, a decent minimum wage tied to uh, inflation. And uh, so that's certainly done. Um, you know, people already are, are contacting me about what's happening in the education system, you know, uh, is now their kids can't get the courses that they thought they would be able to take in September. And uh, some people are have actually said, oh, I, now I kind of regret voting for 
who I voted for because um, he's making changes that now I see the impact are, are, are really difficult uh, for my family life. And I think, again, uh, maybe it's the personal experience. The closer someone gets to that precariousness, maybe they'll be able to see, hmm, I think we better work on this together. There's something that needs to change. We but can't do it alone. How do, you, how do you tell those stories? I mean, I'm glad you got what you guys are doing is, is happening. But the, the, the greater community has to understand what's happening, too. Mm-hmm. Put a face to it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I guess it depends what you're paying attention to on your social media feed, you know. Um, and I think that uh, there is um, there are a lot of issues and there's lots of ways to be involved in this, but our, our attention is so divided. Uh, those stories are out there. We'll be launching our report. You know, everyone is welcome to that. Come and hear that. Meet some of the storytellers. Uh um, maybe we'll have one or two come and meet you, Bill, uh, for the for the next yeah. show. You know, uh, let let's hear their voices, let's read their stories, and come and meet them. It, um, but also, let's not individualize it. Let's see this as the societal problem it is, and that is uh, that the haves will have and the have-nots will be held back by the haves. And we really need to change that narrative and make it that we all need to have. Nobody, when they're they're a kid, says, "I want to grow up and be a street person." <laughs> Nobody says, I want to grow up and be homeless. Uh, so when you see somebody and, and you know, so you see uh, right outside here, even there's somebody at the intersection there that will be asking, you know, for, for some money, and, and some people will ignore that. The first thing that should run through your mind is, how did they get there? How did they get to that position in, in their life? There's a story there. Mm-hmm. They weren't born that way. Uh, and we need to hear those stories, and that's the only way we're going to fix this. Mm-hmm. And people were not born with the judgment in their hearts that they have either. We often say people aren't born homophobic. Somebody taught them along the way how to judge around that. People are not born racist. They, somebody taught them institutionally how to be racist. And it's the same around classism and poverty. Somebody, somewhere along the line, if you think poorly of poor people, you picked that up the wrong message. You met one person, two people who maybe did something that you thought was offensive around the system, but now you're judging on a whole, blanketing that, and uh, you've got to step back from that and find some other things to, you know, uh, widen your your horizon and your view, read some different feeds, read uh, Voices from the Margins, our last social audit three years ago. You can find all that at the Social Planning and Research Council website. Deirdre Pike, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.